Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Russell Westbrook and the Lakers. I think that Westbrook's game is the same. I think the intensity he plays with is the same. I think his mindset is the same. I think the way he attacks is the same. I think the only difference now is that he's in a bigger market. There's more eyes on him. The Lakers are underachieving. They're always on TV. And now they're trying to pick him apart. I think that if they were winning, no one would care. I think that now that he's just under more scrutiny. Question is whether or not Nets can win a championship with Kyrie only playing road games. I think that Kyrie is one of the most talented players the game has ever seen. And to be able to have him for two or three games in a series is a dream come true for that Nets team, especially considering what they're going through now with KD being injured and being out. I think this is definitely a championship caliber team. I still think they got action with him only playing in road games just because of how talented K and 13 are. I recently had a baby. Well, my wife had the baby. I was there to support her on January 10th. Uh, really, really happy with you know the fact that I'm a father now, the fact that I get to go through the process of learning about your child, of learning about parenthood, doing all you can to ensure that your child lives a better life than you've experienced. And so that's a, that's a really cool experience, and I'm thankful for that and really excited about being a father. Welcome to the Pull Up Pod, episode number 129. It's currently Wednesday, January 19th, as I record. And on this date, January 19th in 2000, Michael Jordan returned to the NBA when he joined the Washington Wizards as part owner and president of basketball operations, overseeing all aspects of the team. Question of the day is, will LeBron follow in Jordan's footsteps and eventually own a team? I think the answer to that is a yes. I think he's definitely going to put himself in position to potentially own a team, obviously being one of the first players to ever make over a billion dollars. I think he'll be in a position to definitely do that financially, but also based on his impact on the game, what he's been able to accomplish on and off the court in the communities and who he's surrounded himself with, he'll be able to put a group together to potentially purchase a team. It just depends on what teams become available at the time of his retirement or when he's done playing. And whether or not he's selected uh, for the purchase, but I definitely think it's going to happen. Updates on my life. For those of you that pay attention to me, I recently had a baby. Well, my wife had the baby. I was there to support her on January 10th. Jacoby James McCollum, our little angel, our little sunshine. Uh, Crazy, crazy experience to watch the birth of a child in general and see what a woman goes through. So Thankful for all the women out there uh, for what you have to go through, what you have to experience, and um, really, really 
happy with, you know, the fact that I'm a father now, the fact that I get to, you know, raise a kid and kind of go through uh, what some of my parents went through, what some of my friends and, and family have gone through, which is the um, not only the struggle, but the the process of learning about your child, of learning about parenthood, of sacrificing sleep and doing all you can to ensure that your child lives a better life than you've experienced and, you know, trying to take advantage of not only what you do for a living, but your purpose in life, which is to provide and take care of and shelter and um, help grow uh, a human being. So that's a that's a really cool experience. And I'm thankful for that and really excited about being a father. Um, I have changed a lot of diapers. I have, you know, sacrificed a lot of sleep so far in the early process. My wife is sacrificing sleep now while I'm on the road traveling and playing games. But uh, we're truly thankful for the help we have in our life. And I'm truly thankful for my wife because she's made this process a lot easier and made me feel a lot more comfortable uh, being able to leave home, you know, so so fast in, in our newborn's life. On the court, I'm back on the road. I actually met with the team in Orlando. I flew in um, the night before the Orlando game, got in a little late, stretched, foam rolled in the room, and mentally got ready to get back into the season after about 44 days. My last game was December 4th against the Boston Celtics before they collapsed lung, and it felt great to get back out there and play. Um, I was anxious just because I hadn't played in so long. I had been working out. I had been training, conditioning, lifting. I had only done one-on-one and two-on-two. I hadn't done any full-court um, live contact. So that was my first time running up and down, getting hit by screens and guarding players in a while. But I felt pretty good. I felt like my preparation hadn't been a league for so long. I kind of knew how to simulate game-like movements, how to simulate game-like activities. I kind of tracked a lot of my movements during my workouts to try to log a certain amount of miles, to kind of log a certain heart rate that I felt would would be similar or equivalent to what I would reach in the game. And I felt really good. In terms of personal goals, as I get myself, you know, back into game mode, I think for me, it's just to be as consistent and efficient as possible with taking care of my body, with my movements, with helping contribute to the team on both the offensive side and defensive side, but also from a leadership standpoint, we have a lot of younger guys who are getting more opportunities to play this year. And I think they've done a tremendous job. Um, Obviously, Dame, Got surgery, I think, about a week ago. He'll be out for a little while. Um, so we'll be without, you know, an all-world player, you know, a guy who is, you know, listed in the top 75, as top 75 greatest players of all time. So that's a that's a lot to to try to replace. But I think it's just more so working by committee. A lot of guys, you know, stepping up and kind of fulfilling certain roles and, and kind of helping us, you know, each, each and every night. There's a lot that happens this time of the year with us being in January, uh, approaching February, which means All-Star break, which also means the trade deadline, which is February 10th, I believe. And around this time of the year, a lot of players start to get nervous. A lot of players start to get anxious. You start to hear rumors about every team, rumors about every organization in terms of what they're looking for, what they may not be looking for, what type of players they're targeting. Is it draft picks? Is it young guys? Is it established veterans on the move to a playoff team? There's just all these different storylines. And I think for our team specifically, we're involved in these storylines. Again, there's obviously always talks about myself. There's talks about Nerd. There's talks about Roko. You know, you can kind of go down the line. And I think for us, it's just about showing up and being a pro. 
showing up and doing your job. And for me, I'm just trying to help our team get back to the playoffs. I'm coming back to try to win games. I'm coming back to try to you know, be the best version of myself and do whatever I can to continue to help build a winning culture here in, in Oregon and to kind of show you know the guys that are here, the guys that are playing, you know, how you go about your business each day to prepare and what that in turn does for you, not only um, from, a, from an opportunity standpoint, but also from a performance standpoint. You know, I think historically I've done that and I'm looking forward to doing that some more for our team. But as it, as it stands now, we're currently 18 and 25. Uh, we, we've won four of our last five. We just won two games in a row on the road. Uh, coming into this road trip, we were the worst road team in the NBA statistically. I think we had only uh, had only won one game on the road, and I think we're up to three or four. So we're, we're definitely trending in the right direction. Um, I think it's just really, really cool to see uh, how well Anthony and Nas have been playing. Uh, we joke that Nas is one of the best glass eaters in the NBA. Offensive rebounding is at a premium, and I think he's rated, you know, in the top top half of the league and the top, you know, ten or top five or top ten players, you know, under six seven offensive rebounds. I think he's first. He's got a great wingspan. He can finish well around the basket. He's explosive. He's athletic. He's great in transition. He can guard, and he can shoot the three with regularity. So I think the the future is very very bright for him. He's finally getting a chance to to play extended minutes. He's been starting. As of late, and he's taking full advantage of it, and I'm just really proud of him because he's a guy that works hard but also listens and wants to learn. He wants to be great and is willing to do whatever it takes. And obviously the other guy is Anthony. He's been terrific um, since Dame's gone down. I think he's averaging 28-8 and eight going into you know our, our game against Orlando in his last six games. His January has been phenomenal. He showed flashes of brilliance in pick and roll. Um, he's playmaking. Um, he's obviously shooting the ball regularity from deep um, off the dribble. He's really, really good at you know setting his d- defender up, coming off screens and raising up, kind of playing behind the screen. And we do a lot of pitch action and screen rescreens where he'll hit Nurk, uh, go to the left, and then come back off to the right. Or he'll get a screen going right and come back off to the left to where the uh, defender, especially the big who's who's covering in the pick and roll, is kind of confused, and he may be showing on the wrong side or helping on the wrong side, and he's able to come off for a clean look, or the big is trailing, and he's able to kind of make a decision on, on whether or not he should hit the roller or if he should hit the roll replacement on the weak side for a three-pointer. So he's done a great job of making you know, those three reads, which is really crucial, and uh, how you can be effective in pick and roll. So uh, I'm really happy to see that. Um, outside of you know watching basketball, working out, and being a father, I've been watching a lot of Boardwalk Empire. Huge fan of Boardwalk Empire, and Euphoria has started up. And I know this is completely off topic, but I just thought that I should mention that. Make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Hit us with a five star review. Share the show with a friend, and tell that friend to tell another friend. But stay locked in because we got a lot of interesting topics to discuss, including. The Los Angeles Lakers, Russell Westbrook, mascot beefs, and so much more. We are exactly one game past the midway point, depending on you know which teams had off days uh, between Wednesday and Thursday. And there are a lot of interesting teams across the league, but I really want to focus right now on the Memphis Grizzlies, as well as the Phoenix Suns. 
The Memphis Grizzlies are a very, very young and up-and-coming team. They have done a great job of drafting players. They've done a great job of making some trades, obviously. With the addition of Steven Adams, that was a big acquisition that they completed uh, before the season started, and I think that's made a huge, huge difference in their in their roster. Obviously, Valanciunas was a great big man in his own right, but I think Steven Adams brings a different type of toughness, a different type of screen-setting ability that they may have lacked. But I also think that the roster has continued to just kind of round out some of the younger players that they drafted have had an opportunity to receive more minutes. Dylan Brooks was hurt earlier in the season, and he's hurt again. But he's been a key factor in their success from a toughness standpoint. He picks up full court. He does a lot of the dirty work for that organization and that team. Um, very often, he'll guard point guards. He'll guard shooting guards. He'll guard small forwards. Whoever is the best player on the court, he's guarding them, picking them up full court, hounding them. Their team is constantly competing. They're constantly talking trash. I watched them play. I, I, they're one of my league pass favorites. They remind me of an AAU team because of how fast they play, how fun they play, and how Jock continues to make the game fun with his 360 layups, his pick and roll ability, and all those things. But I'm really impressed with John Moran. Obviously, he's playing at an MVP caliber level. He's a mid-major guy. But they showed me something when they won 10 games in a row while he was out. He had an injury. And they got better. It seemed like their role players had a, an opportunity to to play a more expanded role. Um, obviously, they're very, very deep. They had Bain step up, Jaron Jackson Jr. step up. Now they have uh, the Williams kid playing. Brandon Clark, another one of their draft picks, has been great. T. Jones, big, big fan of Tyus Jones. He has that champion, championship pedigree. Uh, he could run the team. And he kind of showed that he can kind of, you know, fill in when it's necessary. He can take and make big shots. He has a great floater. When we played him early in the season, he was shooting over 40% from three. And he just was their engine. He was the kind of guy that got everybody touches. I like I like Melton as well. I'm a big, big fan of DeAnthony Melton. He's averaged nine and a half points per game. But I think what makes them so fun is that they're in that stage, in that phase to where they've gone from, you know, a very, very fun team to watch to a potential contender. Um, they're still young, they're still explosive, they're still athletic, but based on what I've seen so far, they've showed real signs of growth, real signs of immaculate work within the front office, immaculate work within their development program, within their coaching staff to allow and empower all of these players. And they even got a, a guy like John Conchar, I think that's how you say his name. You know, I had never heard of this guy um, before this season. Uh, he, he was shooting the ball extremely well from three. He's getting minutes. He's getting 20 minutes some nights. Kyle Anderson's playing. They're figuring out a way to maximize all of their players while battling injuries, which is a sign that they're the real deal. So I, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing how they fare this postseason. I think the playing game last year against the Warriors really kind of prepared them for this season. They got a chance to play against a championship pedigree team and then were able to to go into the playoffs. And I think looking at what they were able to accomplish in that first round uh, with, with John Moran, I think he went into Utah and scored 40 in his first playoff game. His ability to push tempo, he's knocking down a three regularity, and he's top three in the NBA in, in points scored in the paint kind of shows you how fearless he is. And I think his team follows his demeanor. They're, they're number seven in offensive rating, they're number 10 in defensive rating. And historically, teams that have been you know top 15 or top 10 and offensive rating and defensive rating, they're basically not only locks for playoffs, but you know have shown that they're going to get a top three um, seed in the playoffs, and they're on target for that. The second team I want to talk about is the Phoenix Suns. I think they certainly came alive in the bubble. 
a few years back when they went undefeated in the bubble and kind of turned heads. And then the addition of Chris Paul really revamped their roster in terms of having that veteran presence, that veteran leader, that guy who's playoff battle tested. He's willing to sacrifice. He's going to set the table. He's going to get eight and shots, touches around around the key. He's going to get Booker his touches. And then when it's clutch time in the fourth quarter, he's not afraid to take and make a big shot. So I, I think he's been very, very good for the team. But I got to credit Monty for doing a great job of developing these guys. Everything I hear about him is first class with the way he runs his organization, with the way he empowers his players. He's a big shoot-around guy. And based on how they execute, you can tell that they really pay attention to the fundamentals. They really pay attention to small breakdown details of how to change angles on the screens. They have a backdoor play that they run a lot of times where they get Mikel Bridges coming out of the corner. It usually leads to a dunk. They run it for Devin Booker as well. And they run a lot of horns action, which basically places the four and the five men at the elbow or above. Chris Paul likes his screen set up high, you know, closer to half court because that allows him to get downhill. And historically, no matter which way you send him, he's always getting back to his right hand. And I think they've done a great job of mastering their own specific personnel. Jay Crowder is the ultimate role player. He guards, he makes threes, he has a little floater. JaVale McKee was a crucial, crucial pickup. Uh, for them. They've battled some injuries, some issues with COVID, and JaVale has done a great job stepping in, averaging over 10 points a game, over eight rebounds. Bismack Biombo is a guy who should be, you know, under contract before, you know, it, it came to 10 days and, and all those things with COVID. He should have been under contract, but he's been great. He just had 17 and 14, you know, two nights ago against the San Antonio Spurs. He's been great. Campaign is averaging double figures again. Another guy who came on strong, they got him out of the G League, a guy who was a first-round pick coming out of a small school. They pick up Shamit in the offseason. Cam Johnson is another guy who has one of the prettiest jumpers I've ever seen. And then Mikhail Bridges, who I spoke about earlier, is in the running for defensive player of the year. He's probably going to make first or second team all defense. Another great draft pick you know, by the Phoenix Suns. So you, got, you add all of that with Devin Booker who's probably one of the most polished scorers the game's ever seen. And you get a team who has real action. This is a team that could win a championship. They got real action. They run a great offense. They run a great defense, as I said before. They're also fourth in offensive rating, and they're second in defensive rating. So basically top five in both, which kind of shows you how consistent they are on both ends of the court. And that leads to wins on the road as well as at home, which will be extremely important come playoff time. Um, and in order to close out a series, you got to be able to win, you know, some of those dog fights on the road. And I think these teams are both positioned to do that. And they have a great home court advantage, which is extremely important um, come clutch time. If, you, if it comes to a game six or game seven, you want to make sure that you have your fans at home. Now we're moving on to one of my favorite segments, pull up or dish. And the topic of discussion is the Nets and Kyrie. The question is whether or not the Nets can win a championship with Kyrie only playing road games. I'm pulling up on this. I think that KD and James are good enough to win games by themselves in a playoff series. And the fact that their ability to score, empower their teammates, and not just score in isolation situations, but also in pick and roll, which is going to create shots for Blake. It's going to create shots for LaMarcus. It's going to create shots for Patty and some of the other role players. I think that they can definitely get through some of these series. But in order for them to be a favorite, I think they would need Kyrie to play in every game because it's hard to win in the playoffs, um, as we've seen before, especially on the road. And the fact that they would have Kyrie on the road is great. But then from a chemistry standpoint, with him not being there at home, that could be very difficult for them. But as I've said before, Kyrie is one of the most talented players the game has ever seen. And 
to be able to have him for two or three games in a series is is a dream come true for that Nets team, especially considering what they're going through now with KD being injured and being out for the next four to six weeks. So I think this is definitely a championship caliber team. I think that if Kyrie were able to play in all the games, they would surely be the favorites to win. But I still think they got action um, with him only playing in road games just because of how talented K and 13 are. You know, looking at James historically in the playoffs, uh, he puts up numbers. You know, he flirts with triple doubles. He can play in the pick and roll and things of that nature. But I think you really need Kyrie down the stretch of games because of his big shot making ability. He's historically hit some of the biggest shots the game's ever seen. You know, step backs right at the buzzard from three. The step back he hit over over Steph is still, you know, one of the biggest shots uh, in Cavaliers history, probably the biggest shot in Cavaliers history and something that everybody remembers. But he was the guy that would take and make big shots. Obviously, you have KD, you have James, but when you have the three of them out there, it's very difficult to guard them. It's hard to double team one or two of them. And someone is always going to have single coverage and potentially a mismatch because there's only so many great defenders on each team. And if the best defender goes to KD, that means the second best and third best defenders will be guarding the other two, which will create huge problems. But I think it'll be a tough adjustment for them. Obviously, they'll cross that bridge when they get there. But him, you know, not being able to go to certain places won't be a factor. I joke that, you know, he might not be able to play in Oakland, but it's only for the road team. So he would be able to play in Oakland in the event that that were a potential finals matchup or another team was a potential finals matchup for them. He just wouldn't be able to play in home games, which would be weird, you know, if there's a game seven in Brooklyn and Kyrie can't play in it. You know, that's just a a crazy situation to think about, but it is a, a potential reality based on where we're at right now. But I'm pulling up. Brooklyn got real action. They could get to the finals. I wouldn't be surprised if they made it to the finals with Kyrie only playing away games. The next pull-upper dish is Russell Westbrook and the Lakers. I'm in the minority, I think, on this. I think that Westbrook's game is the same. I think the intensity he plays with is the same. I think his mindset is the same. I think the way he attacks is the same. His explosiveness may not be as crazy as it once was, but as he showed on his dunk over Rudy, he still has it in spurts. He still can get to the rim. And if you look at his percentages and his breakdowns, Russ is averaging a little under 19, so 18.6 points per game, 8.1 rebounds, 7.9 assists, and he's shooting 43.6%, so basically 44% from the field. This is right on par with where Russ has shot historically throughout his career. He's had some 47, he had a 47% field goal percentage one year, but historically he's in that 42 to 45 range. From three, he's not shooting that great. From the free throw line, he's not shooting that great, but historically... Russ has made his money empowering his teammates, rebounding the ball, pushing in transition, getting to the basket. He's still doing all those things. I think the only difference now is that he's in a bigger market. There's more eyes on him. The Lakers are underachieving. They're always on TV. And now they're trying to pick him apart. I think that if they were winning, no one would care. Winning matters, and it also covers up a lot of mistakes. And historically, he's been a winner. Historically, he's averaged a triple-double, so people have kind of looked over certain things. Now that they're losing, they're kind of watching everything. They're watching, you know, they're making these, you know, videos of him hitting the side of the backboard. They're making all all these different videos and, and breakdowns of him. But in reality, Russ is the same player he's always been. He plays the same way with the same intensity. I think that now that he's just under more scrutiny. And I think he's also sharing the workload. He's playing with arguably the best player of all time in LeBron James. LeBron has a high usage rate. LeBron is a point forward. He's a point guard at heart. And I think it's been hard for him to kind of adapt to playing alongside him because Russ has always been ball dominant. He 
get the rebound and start the break. And sometimes he's having to play off the ball. And that's not necessarily his game. I think LeBron needs a lot of guys around him that are catch-and-shoot specialists, guys that can go boogie, but also play in the mid-range. you got to be able to shoot threes. you got to be able to do those things. And I think they're still working on spacing issues. They're still working on a lot of things. But I don't think Russ is, is to blame for, for everything. I think that they're just trying to find a scapegoat, if I'm being honest. But his numbers are pretty consistent. His usage rate is down a little bit. But in terms of percentage, Obviously, he could, he could take care of the ball a little bit better in some of those things. But I will say this, though. I will say that Russ has continued to try to figure out ways to change his game in terms of shot selection, in terms of where he's playing out on the court, where he's um, having his opportunities to attack. And I think there are a lot of players who have had to evolve and change versus players who can't slash just haven't wanted to evolve and change. I think you look at Kevin Love, the way he played in Minnesota, how he was utilized. Uh, he played a certain way there, a lot of pinch post action, a lot of ISO situations, pick and pop, things of that nature. But he got a lot of his money, you know, around the painted area. And then he was traded to the Cavs and exclusively almost became a stretch five where he had to guard the five. He also guarded the fours and he exclusively basically shot threes and rebounded um, and really just kind of revamped his game. And he did what he had to do to win a championship. But um, he wasn't utilized the same way in Cleveland as he was in Minnesota. You look at Jason Kidd, how he changed his game. You know, he was flashy, high-flying. You know, he was dunking. He was getting into the paint, pushing tempo. Couldn't really shoot. Had a little bit of a mid-range shot, but he basically focused on just getting getting to the basket. Uh, he basically evolved into a three-point shooter, a guy who preferred to catch and shoot. Obviously, Father Time is undefeated, and it catches up to everybody, but he's a guy who began to shoot threes. Andre Udala, still high flashy uh, in terms of athleticism, could dunk on you, can defend. But when he was in Philly, he was a scorer. He was a bona fide bucket getter. He was their, their, their number one option. He was the guy who would push tempo. He would run pick and rolls. He was a point forward. He would shoot middies. He did all of those things, and then he went to the Warriors and kind of changed his game. He kind of evolved uh, into a different player. I think Dre also played in Denver, if I'm not mistaken. And he still was more so the Sixers version of Iguodala than he is now. Obviously, now he's asked to just, you know, guard. He's asked to be a, a locker room guy. He's asked to finish games, be a point forward, hit big shots when he's asked to, or called upon. But the role is different. I think it was, it's been really cool seeing Melo. He's evolved and he's changed his game. But it still looks pretty. It's still aesthetically pleasing on the eyes because he's still got the mid-post game. He's got the shimmies. He's got the fades. He's got the pump fakes. He's shooting threes. He can still handle the rock. He can still initiate the offense. But he's not asked to do a lot of stuff that he did in Denver. He's not asked to do a lot of stuff that he did in New York. Um, but the fact that he can shoot kind of revolutionized um, his game and how he's changed. I think a lot of players that can't shoot really struggle to evolve uh, because of the way the game is played, the tempo it's played at and how important the three-point line is. And I think we're starting to see that with guys across the league. It's adapt or die. If you don't adapt and change your game, if you don't develop certain skill sets, if you can't be a locker room guy, if you can't be a great screen setter, a great defender, a great ball handler, a great passer, or a great shooter, there's no space for you in this league. You have to be able to do lots of these things. And most teams that, that pay you lots of money uh, expect you to do a variety of those things while helping contribute towards winning. And I think uh, what we're seeing now across the league is that players that can shoot survive players that can't typically they fizzle out and now we're going to give out lots of l's this week the sixers simmons situation is is 
a struggle, I think, for all parties involved. So I don't think anybody's winning here. I think that it's a struggle because, one, Ben Simmons isn't playing, which is tough on the organization. It's got to be tough for him. It's got to be tough for the fans, tough for the players. All-star caliber player who's not playing and also not getting paid. So I think that's tough on him. And I think the Sixers are also losing the situation because of all the things I just mentioned. He's not playing, uh, so they're not able to utilize an all-star caliber player. All defense, all world type player on that end as well. So I think it's just a situation where everybody is is losing. It's unfortunate, but he's not happy. They're in a situation where they haven't traded them yet because they haven't found equal value uh, in their eyes. And he's also losing money. So I think this is just a, a unfortunate situation all the way across the board for him, for the organization, for the fans, everybody in general. And hopefully they're able to resolve it. The other L is... <laughs> The mascot in this case, but also Devin Booker because I thought it was funny. Booker was upset at the Raptors mascot, the only fan in the building, for attempting to distract Booker during two clutch free throws. I think his reaction was hilarious because I don't think he was actually serious. I think he was just uh, making a point to get him out of the way so he could really focus and concentrate. But I think it definitely could have affected him if the arena was completely empty, which it was. And there's one person in there kind of distracting you, kind of in the way. I think that would have messed me up too. So I would have definitely... Uh, complained about it in private to the ref and said, hey, get him out of here. He's distracting us. You're not supposed to have people behind the stanchion or to the right or left of the stanchion anyway because during a normal game, fans wouldn't be that close or like in your direct view. They would just be kind of like all behind the court, you know, 18 to 20,000 people. So it probably wouldn't be as much of a distraction as just a bunch of empty chairs and then one mascot just standing there in the way. I don't like how people brought Kobe into this. May he rest in peace. I think Book talked about it perfectly. Like, he's not Kobe. He models his game after him in terms of work ethic and things of that nature, and that's a mentor for him. But he said it. You know, he's he's not Kobe. So he doesn't want to be, you know, kind of put in that same conversation, that same limelight. But in terms of free throw concentration and focus, I prefer, you know, lots of noise. It's kind of weird, you know, when it's quiet. Um, I prefer to shoot with lots of noise, lots of distractions. It, it just, it's a part of the routine and ritual. It's kind of awkward when it's quiet at times. And even at home, you see guys oftentimes miss free throws because it's just so quiet and weird. But I think that's just my stance on this situation. During my hiatus of rehab and allowing, why I allowed my lung to heal, uh, I was able to eventually start drinking some wine once I felt comfortable with my lungs. And I definitely want to recommend this bottle. Uh, it's a Napa Valley cab. It's called Orange Swift. It's a mercury head cab, 2017. Uh, price point is around 128 bucks, depending on where you get it from. This is a very, very good wine. Wine Spectator rated at 93 out of 100. It's more bold than light, more tannic than smooth, more dry than sweet. It's higher in acidity. There's oak, vanilla, chocolate, hints of blackberry, leathery, more earthy. Definitely has that bold Napa Valley taste. Uh, something that I would definitely highly recommend to those out there that want to spend over 100 bucks on wine. Pairs well with a lot of different things. Um, obviously, you got lots of different cheeses, meats. You can do, you know, crackers, things of that nature, beef, deer, lamb, poultry, chicken, veal. Uh, whatever you're into, but it is a cab, bigger body. I definitely think you should check it out. As always, be sure you're following the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Hit up the show on social at Pull Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're always posting fresh content all season long. And as the saying goes, don't forget to pull up. <laughs> <laughs>